Welcome back to Cancer in Our Community, a podcast brought to you by the Office of Community Outreach, Engagement and Equity at Moffitt Cancer Centre and made possible by a generous gift from Dr. Michael Fogelbaum and Ms. Judith Rosman by the Top Jewish Foundation. This episode was recorded for the month of February, nationally recognised as Black History Month. Although today's discussion, while it mentions histories, is largely looking to the future. Usually when we think about preventing, treating and curing cancer, we think about doctors, nurses, pharmacists and other medical professions. Or maybe you think of the scientists and researchers. Well, today's guest thinks the way forward in cancer care is through computing and data. So join us as we speak with Dr. Edmundo Robinson about how the future is digital. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cancer in Our Community, where we're having conversations about black health equity. My name is Dr. Brandon Blue. I'm an oncologist here at Moffitt Cancer Center in the Department of Malignant Hematology, and I'm your podcast host. Today, we're excited to speak with someone whose work may be a little bit more unconventional at a cancer research center, but join us in welcoming Dr. Edmundo Robinson. So, Edmundo, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Brandon. We're happy to have you here on our podcast. Before we get into our question and answer section, I'd like to give you a little introduction about Edmundo's background. Dr. Robinson got his medical degree from the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, an MBA with an emphasis on healthcare management from the Warden School at University of Pennsylvania, and a master's degree in health policy research also from the University of Pennsylvania. He now leads Moffitt Center for Digital Health, which leverages the tools of IT, health data services, and digital innovation. Let's start with an easy question. The Center for Digital Health, what is that? So the Center for Digital Health is really an organizational principle around how to how to build digital as a core competency in your organization. So there's different ways you could think about digital, because digital is real broad, like what does digital even mean? But for us at Moffitt, it means that we're going to look at these core assets that we have, information technology, right, your core IT systems, you know, whenever someone thinks of IT, that's, that's part of our Center for Digital Health. But also data, data is a really important asset, and we have to figure out how to incorporate that into our overall concept of digital. And then the innovation piece, how do you build the future? How do you build the future of technology? How do you build the future of interactions with our patients? How do you build the future of even our business operations? So again, technology and IT, data and health data services and and the innovation piece, you bring them together and that is your true digital asset that allows us to accelerate our mission to prevent and cure cancer. I'm glad you broke that down because I really had no idea what you did. But now that makes a lot more sense. One question that I have is, are we the first cancer center to do this, or has this model been done at other places? So we're not the first cancer center to, to, to create this model this way, but the number of institutions, cancer or otherwise, that have this model, I can count on one hand. So it's increasing as a model for how to deploy digital but it's, we're very early, we're very front, front line in terms of thinking of it this way. One way to think about it is digital is your strategy and the technology and the data and the innovation are how you execute that strategy. 
So my job as chief digital officer is to articulate the strategy, and my team's job is to execute on that strategy. So um, we used a lot of words that some of our listeners might not be as familiar with, okay? Uh, one of the abbreviations that we commonly hear when they say something is digital mm -hmm. is AI. Mm. Now, I am an old-school basketball guru, so <laughs> AI for me means Allen Iverson, Iverson, okay? Yes. But I would imagine in the digital field, that means something else. It does. So when people say AI, can you kind of break that down and kind of what those terms really mean? So AI... You know, what, what we see, let's say you're watching movies and all that, and you see these robots, right, like iRobot, you know, Will Smith and all that. You know, so you're thinking of these, these robots that are essentially intelligent, almost as intelligent as human beings, but they're, but they're machines. Uh, that's not what it is. <laughs> and, I, and I just want to be clear, so we're not talking about, you know, intelligent robots running around, running around Moffitt. But the concept, you're, you're heading towards the concept, which is you're trying to build machines that can replicate some aspects of how a human being thinks. Now, it, we're not there to be able to replicate all the aspects, but some aspects of how a human being might think and be able to do that really well. So that's generally what artificial intelligence is. It literally is that thing. It's artificial, but it is intelligence, right? So now how do we think about that in terms of what we do every day? Essentially, uh, the main ways we use artificial intelligence is by building what we call an algorithm. So it's basically um, a program or a, um, an equation that allows us to predict what the future is going to be. So you build an equation that says, based on all that I know about the past, I can tell you what the future is going to be. So you think about weather, right? How do the weather men and weather people know how to predict what the weather's going to be. It's because they use models based on what's happened in the past, what's going on right now, to tell you what they think is going to happen in the future. That's why it's not 100%, right? But it's pretty close because they've used a lot of data from the past. That is a similar concept. We're now going to say, how do I predict if a patient's going to get sick? I'm going to look at all previous patients that were similar to this, this patient, I'm going to understand where this patient is now, and I'm going to be able to predict and tell you whether or not this patient is going to get sick in the future. So, you know, it's an interesting question. So um, right now we're in the age of what they call personalized medicine, yes. and there's a big push for me as an individual patient to actually get treatment differently than the person with the same diagnosis right next to me. Right. So how do you use something like an algorithm yes. but still deliver personalized medicine? I, it's a great question, and that's, that's, exactly how, that's exactly the point, is the algorithms, again, when you're using AI and machine learning, which is another, another concept, but uh, with a subset of AI, but when you're using AI, what you're allowed to do here is hyper-personalize the approach, because you get to, you get to feed in all, everything you know about that particular patient. And that allows the algorithm, the equation, the AI, to predict for that patient. It's not predicting for everybody. It's predicting for you based on what it knows about you and what it knows about everybody else that's come before you. So what type of information would you guys need for something like an algorithm? Would you need to know, like, my dog's name? What kind of pets do I have? Like, you know, my grandma's maiden name? You know, the stuff that they put mm -hmm. for passwords? Or, like, yeah. what kind of information would really help an algorithm be successful? It's great, a great question. It's actually not as easy as it might seem. So typically what drives what's clinically important are 
things that are clinically important, like, you know, your lab values and your diagnosis and your stage and those kinds of things. That's typically what you need. However, this is the beauty of artificial intelligence. You don't presuppose what you think is important ahead of time. Because the way you build these algorithms, and they're very complex, but the way you build them, you allow it to tell you what's most important. So when I, when I do um, other algorithms before AI, I would, just, I, would, I would guess what I think is most important. I'd build a predictive model, and I'd see if it worked. The way these artificial intelligence algorithms work is that you give it as much data as you can, and you allow it to sift through and tell you what's most important from a prediction perspective. You know, uh, for the listeners out there, I think it would be helpful because um, I think a lot of people understand the concept of a medical doctor like myself, right? Patient comes in sick, they tell me kind of some of the problems. I say, oh, this is your issue, and these are some medicines that will get you better. People also understand the research standpoint, like, hey, there's a question that we don't know. Mm -hmm. We're going to answer this question, mm -hmm. and then here's the result. Mm -hmm. But like how technology fits into medicine and healthcare, I think we don't really have a good example of that. And so I think it would be helpful to kind of really bring it home to the people and say, this is how technology is actually working in healthcare. And could you give us some examples? Oh, there's there's so many. Uh, it, <laughs> so one example would be, I don't know if you've ever ordered a Domino's pizza, but when you order, a, I'm, I, I am going somewhere with this, by the way. So when you order Domino's, if you have the app, you can track where your pizza is along the, you know, pizza creation kind of pathway. Imagine you could do the same thing on your own clinical journey, where you can track where you are along that journey on your own app. Or you want to know what's going on with your labs. You got your blood drawn. Where's, where's your labs? Why haven't you gotten the results yet? And you can track that. So my point being that we're going to take the same concepts that we already know in other industries like retail or like food and dining, and we're going to bring them in to healthcare. But you need the technology to do it. You know, you need the underlying process. And you need the underlying technology. So that's one area where we're going to make it the way that you interact with everything else in the world, Uber. Amazon, all of those things, we're going we're gonna to reflect that into your healthcare journey. So that's, that's what we call consumer digital. Okay, so that's one aspect of technology. Another is just what I mentioned, which we call, which, which is really around the clinical piece, which is let's predict the future and then treat the patient based on those predictions. So that's what we were talking about with the, with the artificial intelligence algorithms. That's another way where we can directly, we can directly predict some of those, some of those uh, pieces. Another is research. Can I, use, can I use machine learning or AI algorithms to predict what do I think should be the, the most promising new innovations in research? Can I actually use artificial intelligence to sift through all the options and get me to the ones where I think are the most promising that are going to cure cancer for this, this particular diagnosis, right? So you can use AI to do that as well. Another way you can use um, artificial intelligence, or even just digital, just broadly um, uh, using digital, is uh, folks don't think about this as much, but it's really important for us as a nonprofit, which is use digital, something we call robotic process automation, or basically automating things. Use digital to make your business operations, your back office, more efficient. Why is this important for, for, for the folks listening? The more efficient my operation is, my business operation is, the more I can take those dollars that I was, was using to run the business, and I can take those to take care of patients and to give to research. 
right? So you don't want to spend as much money on running the business. You want to you want to spend that money on research and and and, and taking care of patients because we're a nonprofit. At the end of the day, that's where that's where our, our funds should go to drive our mission. So and that's just those are just a few examples of where where digital really is right now improving the way that we take care of patients, the way that we do research, and allowing us to accelerate our mission to prevent and cure cancer. I'm glad you brought that right now aspect in because whenever you see these futuristic AI, artificial intelligence, or technology movies, it always is sometime in the future. But it sounds like those times actually may be happening right now. Those times are happening right now. Would you suggest or could you offer to the listeners any things that you might be excited about that in the next five, maybe 10 years to say, this is going to be a kind of a game changer in that community or in that in your realm? I, I think, I mean, it was your first question that I, I, I'm most excited about. It has the most opportunity and, and potentially some of the challenges as well that we could get to. But you talked about um, artificial intelligence from the very beginning. I think that my, my prediction is that artificial intelligence in some way, shape, or form is going to be baked into everything we do in healthcare. Soup to nuts. Everything. It's going to be in how we deliver the care. It's going to be how we interact and engage with uh, those that we serve, our patients and, and their caregivers. It's going to be in how we run our operations. It's going to be in how we do our research. It's going to be in how we educate the next generation of doctors, of clinicians, nurses, pharmacists, and, and so forth. It's going to be in everything, and there's examples and there's use cases, again, that we're doing right now and that we will be doing in the future, like you said, over the next three to five years, let's say, where that is going to be true. That I'm really excited about because I think it will accelerate us you know, so as you know, with the pandemic, our virtual visits, for example, our telehealth visits exploded. You, you're, you're doing telehealth visits, right? It's, it's exploded because of the pandemic. These, kind of, these kinds of kind of world-changing events accelerates innovation. I think this is one of those um, times when uh, innovation is going to really take a, a big leap forward. Well, you know, I, I will bring this up because with any new innovation – comes the idea that there's going to be maybe a new disparity in some group that gets left behind. So as you know, the main purpose or premise of this podcast is to really talk about the community, about the people that are listening and trying to figure out a way that we can make sure that these inequities are brought about and discussed. Mm -hmm. You use the word baked in, and unfortunately, in the healthcare system right now, inequities are baked in. Mm -hmm. So how do we make sure that as technology and artificial intelligence and all these things are happening, how do we make sure that certain populations of people don't get left behind? So a uh, really important uh, point and one that is top of mind for me, and I, I will bring it up anytime I get a chance. There's two aspects of your, of your question that I want to I uh, dig into, one that's more general and then one that's more specific within that. One is broadly speaking, digital. Like 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 we said, you know, digital digital uh, you know, technology innovations are, are going to be in, in lots of different places. Already are in lots of different places within within the healthcare environment ecosystem. Let's say there's this concept though of the digital divide, whereby there's going to be haves and have-nots. There already are haves and have-nots potentially around around some of these digital tools and technology. So you can almost think of digital as another social determinant of health. Right, we think about education. You think about transportation. You think about you know access to you know to fresh fruits and vegetables, things like that. Um, you know, food deserts, and I think digital is going to be another one of those social determinants that's going to be really critical for for health outcomes. The digital divide basically is 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 this description of what that difference is. 
but it's it's different than say transportation or or food deserts in that how that's going to be reflected is do you have a device for example you know a, a smartphone or something like that that actually can engage with digital tools and technology do you have um, Wi-Fi broadband access? Do you even have access to the internet in, in, in fast enough speeds that allows you to interact? Do you have what we call not just health literacy, digital health literacy, right? That's a, a whole nother concept. So there's there's multiple concepts of, of this digital divide, but I, in, the, the underlying premise here is that we have to start to design for and underst- understand and then design for the possibility that digital will actually widen disparities. And, but if we do it right, digital could actually shrink disparities, right? So imagine transportation might be an issue from, a, from an access perspective for, for some, certain communities. Well, if we get digital right, we can use virtual care and telehealth to eliminate the transportation disparity, right? So if we do it right, we actually can address disparities with digital tools. So that's, that's one aspect. I think it's really important that we get it right and we, and we keep a laser focus on this. The other aspect is specific to artificial intelligence. I'm concerned about these predictive algorithms being biased. So we've already heard, you know, we've heard about more in the general, in the lay press. You may have heard about it, you know, these um, facial recognition, right? But they don't recognize, uh, you know, folks with darker skin, or maybe you maybe you have like a scanning device, but if you have darker skin, it doesn't work, those kinds of things. Those are out there, and those are those are based, there's AI that's, that, that's drawing there. And the reason why they don't work in a lot of cases is because they did not train those models on a diverse enough population. So if the underlying data that's training the model is not diverse enough, wide enough, broad enough base, then we're gonna, we're gonna run into problems from a, from a um, bias perspective. I do worry about that. And there's, there's tactical ways to approach that, but I think in general, it's not throw the baby out with the bathwater on AI. I think it's it's a very powerful tool. We've got to get it right. So, you know, one of the main messages that you bring up is getting it right. You know, so I actually have heard an interesting story. So um, the, the school system had this same problem. They were trying to say, all right, COVID happened. Schools are closed. We still need to get information and kids need to learn. So their idea was let's get everybody either laptops or iPads. They did that, and then they found out that up to 30% of the households didn't have Wi-Fi, right? So so what they thought was a good solution to this problem, unfortunately, caused an even bigger problem, okay? So could you talk to maybe some things that either Moffitt is doing or your department is doing or here in Tampa Bay or some ways that we can say, hey, this is what we know is an issue, but this is how we plan to solve it or help address that? So one of the, one of the ways to approach that I have a you know similar story. One of the examples of, of that exact um, concept was you know right when the pandemic hit, you know someone was noticing that there were these these uh, students, these uh, kids that were always in McDonald's every night, uh, in McDonald's. Like why are they in McDonald's every single night sitting at the table? It's the only place to get free Wi-Fi, and that's why they were there. Right? They didn't have a library close by. You know, there's nowhere else to go. They didn't have Starbucks, right? So they were in McDonald's. So that is, that is absolutely um, uh, true from that perspective. So part of what we, we really want to do to address this in, in, in Tampa Bay um, specifically is understand what the needs of the community are. We can't presuppose what their needs are. Let's do the assessment and say, what are, where are the gaps? You know, are, where are the gaps to access? Where are the gaps from a digital perspective? And then we have, ver- have very pointed 
interventions based on what we've identified, right? So our, our Center for, uh, for Outreach, um, you know, Engagement and Equity really does a lot of that assessment here at Moffitt Cancer Center where we look at and say, well, what are the gaps in the community? Engage with the communities directly. And, you know, I was trained in something called community-based participatory research, where you actually engage with the community in developing your solutions and in developing your research agenda. And then you go and have very specific interventions to address it. So, for example, of the Wi-Fi, do we, can we work with the city? Can we work with the county? Can we, can we do something around just giving everyone free Wi-Fi? Just, just, just put Wi-Fi in the, in the air. Everybody have it, right? So, and certain communities have done this. It's not, it's not unheard of. They have done this. They've partnered with maybe the providers, you know, the, the digital providers, and, and they've, they've, they've made it just free for everyone. So those are some of the interventions. Once we identify, I don't want to solve a problem that I haven't identified yet. Identify the problem first and then go in and, and, and come up with the solution. You know, one of the ways that, you know, you guys have been really able to identify some of these problems is really using the data. You know, you've kind of mentioned that you need data to, to answer questions. Unfortunately, as you know, right now, we have a big medical mistrust issue. You know, COVID vaccines came out, nobody trusted them. You know, our community, unfortunately, seems a little bit more vulnerable due to a lot of different issues that, you know, we don't have time on this episode of the podcast to really talk about. But like, when we say data, people always feel like, hey, this is my information, okay? But what do we have in place to make people feel secure? And of course the plan is to help them, but how do we know that this won't get leaked? We hear about these data leaks and how do we make people know that, hey, this is a place that we really try to keep things secure. And while we may get some of this information, it's really to help you. This is, this is a very important point. So let's say, let's, let's put digital on the side for a second. Let's say you're going into your, to, to your doc and, you know, you got to get a blood test, right? They need to they need to check your blood. Well, those results are somewhere. Um, and, you know, the doc needs them to take care of you. And you trust that the doc is going to use them appropriately to take care of you. That's why you got your blood test. Well, that's true of all the data we have about you, not just that blood test you got, right? It's true about your zip code that you live in. It's true about any other financial information we might have for you. It's true about any anything we know about you. We are, based on a federal mandate, required to keep those data about you safe and secure. We're required to do that. Uh, and there are significant and severe penalties if we don't do that, right? So it's actually part of my team that is uh, called the Cybersecurity Office, right? So I have a Chief Information Security Officer that basically is cybersecurity. So, you know, now that so much data is digital, we have to have not a Fort Knox, but we have to have a digital Fort Knox to keep your data safe. And that's what my, that's what my team does. So our goal at Moffitt is to have a world-class cybersecurity function so that your data is safe and you know that your data is being used for the reasons that you have approved it to be used and not for anything else. It's not getting leaked out. It's not on the dark web that's what our team does. So my, part of my team, it's not just like, give me all your data. It's how do I keep your data safe, secure, and being used for the things that you've approved it for? Yeah, you know, I think it's just 
people are scared, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm sure we've all had the uh, scenario where, you know, you're talking in a car with your friends about Domino's Pizza. The next thing you know, you look on your phone, there's a Domino's Pizza <laughs> That's ad, right. you know? That's right. You, uh, you know, Siri, we have uh, Alexa, you know, all these different devices that are always listening to our conversations. So people get nervous when you talk about data, you know? So I think talking about cybersecurity and really saying that, us having a world-class cybersecurity office here at Moffitt, I think does give people some type of reassurance because when you talk about very vulnerable situations such as cancer, such about blood disorders, such about you know very intimate things that some people don't even share with their families, right. they need to make sure that this information is not getting out there to the masses. That's that's it's it's so important. And what's what's interesting is is folks are are more concerned about it now that many of those data are digital. But I've been practicing long enough that when I started, everything was on paper. And if someone grabbed your physical record, the paper record, and walked away with it, I actually had no idea. I had no idea. They could, they could go photocopy it and bring it back. I would have never known it was gone. So your data was at more risk on paper than it is digitally. Because if you, if you even open, if someone even opens your medical record chart in, in our electronic medical record, I'll know. If you just open it, just look at it. Oh uh, no, I everything is tracked, right? So that's much more secure than the old paper days. So the way that we keep it secure is by having, to your point, a world class cybersecurity function. But I just want to reassure folks that we are much safer than than the back in the old paper days. Well, you know, um, we want to wrap up the podcast by really leaving the folks with a take home message for the listeners. You know, so out of all the different areas and the different things that we've discussed today, is there kind of one or two kind of really take-home messages that you want the listeners to learn about all the interesting things that you do? So, you know, we didn't even talk about the fact that I, I take care of patients in the hospital and all that, and we can, we can, leave, that on, we can leave that on the side. But, but one, I think the, the one take-home that I, I want folks to, to understand is that, you know, Moffitt being a world-class cancer center, with the clinical care and the research is being supported and advanced by a world-class digital as a, a tool and a technology that helps support and accelerate the clinical and research components of our mission and the educational components of our mission. So my point being that you don't just, you, you know that we have wonderful doctors, you know we have wonderful researchers, but know that the team that supports them from a technology and digital perspective is just as world-class as the team that actually executes on the research and, and, and clinical side. And I think that's important so that you know that we are bringing in all those, those innovative tools. If you've seen something, we've seen it too. And, and that's, that's, how we, that's how we roll, that's how we work. And, and that's how Moffitt's going to stay the best cancer center. All right. So, Edmundo, before we get you out of here, one thing that we always want the listeners to know is that not only are you a great person in the world of AI and digital health, not only are you a world-class physician yourself, but you're also a human being. So with that being the case, you got to tell the people what's one fun fact that the listeners can know to kind of bring you a little bit of a human feel uh, to Dr. Edmundo Robinson. I guess I'm not iRobot then. No, I'll be, I'll be a human for a second. No, what, the, one, the one thing I'll share with the, with the listeners, I like to drive fast. Uh, but I do it 
in a safe and legal fashion. So what I do is I take my, my race car on the track. Uh, and I like to really push myself. I'm not really racing other people per se, so I'm not in a, on a race in that sense. I'm really racing and challenging myself and pushing my own limits when I'm on that track and I'm, you know, coming around that straightaway and I've got to make that, that, that left turn, you know, you know, with a down slope and I can't see the next turn after that. That is, that's challenging myself. Here's what happens when I'm on the track. Nothing else matters. I'm not thinking digital. I'm not thinking, you know, being in the hospital. I'm not thinking what's, you know, what Adele's next album's going to be about. Only thing I'm focused on is getting that line right. So anyone, anyone who, who does drive on tracks, they know there's a line you're supposed to follow, right? I'm thinking about getting that line right, hitting that apex. That's what I'm focused on. And for me, given how broad my, my day is and my work and all that, I'm thinking about it all the time. When I'm on the track, it's like I'm in a whole other world. And that I really enjoy. Uh, and so that's, that's what I do. That's what I do for fun. Yeah, I actually may join you. I don't have a race car, but I'll put my minivan out there, and uh, we will make sure that uh, you get some competition, okay? We can try that. We can try it. I'm ready. <laughs> Outstanding. You know, it's really been a great uh, session. This has been an excellent episode. We've literally learned a lot about a lot of the different behind-the-scenes areas of Moffitt that people really haven't been exposed to. We'll make sure that we share some of the links in this episode, really show some notes for people who want to hear more about the things that you do. Well, that's all from us. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Edmondo Robinson. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to Cancer in Our Community. If you want to make sure you don't miss future episodes, head to SoundCloud to follow our account or subscribe via Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This episode was hosted by Brandon Blue, and produced, directed and edited by Panve Bahia of Scientists Inc. Cancer in Our Community is an initiative of the Office of Community Outreach Engagement and Equity at Moffitt Cancer Centre and made possible by a generous gift from Dr. Michael Fogelbaum and Ms. Judith Rosman via the Top Jewish Foundation.